Okay, I think the best thing we can do for for the next COP is to say, look, this is the last COP. As former president of a small island state, Mohammed Nasheed has had to think about the unthinkable. What happens if we no longer have a country? We feel that we will survive. Uh, I refuse to believe that we are going to die. Today I speak with Mohammed Nasheed, the former president of the Maldives. He has some very provocative thoughts on how to tackle climate change. First of all, he says, let the next COP meeting be the last COP meeting. He also argues that we need to look into genetically modified coral reefs. All of this and much more I talked to Mr. Nasheed about in this podcast. Welcome to Planet A, a podcast on climate change. My name is Dan Jørgensen. I am Minister of Climate, Energy and Utilities in Denmark. In a series of conversations, I ask some of the world's leading experts, policymakers and activists how to stem climate change. We, the human species, are confronting a planetary emergency. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. The reason I believe we need to act now is because the facts are staring us in the face. The time to answer humankind's greatest challenge is now. So this gives us the best possible shot to save the one planet we've got. There is no plan B because we do not have planet B. You're listening to Planet A, a podcast on climate change and what to do about it. Today I speak with Mohammed Nasheed. He serves as Speaker of the Maldivian Parliament. He started his career as a journalist but quickly became a human rights activist. As an activist, he led a campaign of non-violent civil disobedience against the then Maldivian regime. The regime imprisoned, banished, exiled and tortured Mr. Nasheed, but failed to stop him. And in 2008, he became the first democratically elected president of the Maldives. It was in this capacity he emerged as a forceful advocate for climate action. In the run-up to the COP15 in Copenhagen, he was a staunch critic of the wealthiest nations in action. And while I don't agree with the former president on all aspects, I do think his provocative ideas are very important to discuss. Hello, sir. Uh, hello, good morning, sir. How good, are you? Good morning. So, in 2009, when you served as president of the Maldives, you hosted a very special cabinet meeting that got attention all around the planet. I remember reading about it in, in the paper and seeing uh, some video footage in, in, in TV. You had it at the bottom of the sea with scuba diving equipment. and uh, We wanted to show to the international community the gravity of the issue. You know, God help us. Is this where we have to go? The Maldives is really on the verge. So we wanted to impress the international community. We want to we wanted to impress the gravity of the issue. That's why we had the underwater conference. Can you maybe say a little bit about your role in, in climate diplomacy and and how uh, a, a smaller island state like like the Maldives can actually make a difference? Uh, when we are talking to and negotiating with huge nations like China and the US and Russia and others? I think the best thing we could do for, for the next COP is to say, look, this is the last COP. Really? There is, the, I, I believe that the conference of the parties meeting in uh, uh, Glasgow should be the last time we meet to talk about this. <laughs> last time. I went to the COP and there were children born to the COP. 
and you know it, it has become it has become a society of its own uh, for the first time how we have been trying to uh, negotiate a climate agreement through the UNFCCC process is very very cumbersome it's almost impossible it, it it is mapped on the same us un principles of let's say the wto the world trade organization now if the maldives and denmark for instance um agrees to a certain ambition a certain level of uh, 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 emission carbon emission let's say we agree on something and then the third another third country comes up and say no i do not agree so what what is happening is that both of us then reduces our ambition to match this other fellow who came the other country who came so at the end of the day you end up getting the lowest common denominator which has nothing to do with what we are seeking and even to get that now look this is the 22nd 23rd cop because you think uh, that really the united nations is not the place to make these decisions because since it's unanimity basically it becomes the lowest common denominator and it would be better to just have groups of countries going forward on on their own i think you know the, the one of the principles that came out from the cop 15 from denmark was that to say we ask countries to register their ambition how much you are willing to you know what, what what is it that you think you can do finally the paris agreement is based on this thinking this idea uh, when we started talking about this cumbersome very long unfccc process uh, it became obvious to countries that they had to change the manner in which they were trying to reach an agreement now the 31st december uh, of this year is the climate survival deadline the last chance for five years for all countries to deliver better paris targets ensuring ensuring that we build we build back better and turn the tide on the climate emergency we we don't have any other time other than what is available on 31st of december oh i i, I really agree but don't you think that uh, having an international process even though it's slow and even though obviously it's also built on compromises still it does have the positive effect that it pushes countries it pushes countries that are not ambitious to actually pledge uh, reduction targets that they probably wouldn't have done if it hadn't been for that process if we start thinking this in another manner you know i really think that for you know all, almost all my life Uh, half of my adult life at least we've been asking countries not to do things not to emit not to produce electricity not to have a light not to heat not to have a air condition now that's almost impossible not to develop or not to make your life better the economics the received economics that we have is based on this idea that air is free Uh, it's a free good when we were in school we were in university we were taught that air was free air is free now and then we build a discipline uh, an economic discipline based on the view that air is a free good now you can now see how bad the market mechanism then will go 
I, I believe, I believe it is possible for us to find a new economics that would give you the same economic outcomes, high employment, low inflation, GDP growth, a better life, but with a low carbon development strategy, with less carbon. Renewable energy now is financially, economically viable and feasible in any given situation, especially solar, in any given situation. And therefore, you know, even if we try to build coal power plants now, it doesn't work. No one is listening. No one is building. You know, you try and say, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. And, and if we try and sell, Minister, a power plant, uh, a coal power plant to California, I, I, I don't know. I don't think uh, there's someone who you can flog it to. It's true. I mean, uh, renewables, solar, uh, wind, of course, uh, offshore wind, which we have, have, uh, have shown in, in Denmark, can now be built uh, and established without public subsidies, which is quite, uh, quite astonishing if we compare to how it was just a few years ago. Um, so the Maldives, uh, also under your leadership, uh, started a travel towards carbon neutrality, which is quite impressive. Uh, can you maybe uh, share with the listeners a little bit about your experiences there? Well, uh, we wanted to become carbon neutral by 2020, but we had a coup in between. But fortunately, we are back in government again. And we believe we might be a little late, but by in the next five to seven years, we think we will be carbon neutral. Uh, even without the coup, it might have just been five, five to seven years later. But we could always say it was the coup. But uh, <laughs> the, thing, the thing about this is it's not just energy production. It's a, a development strategy that is less extractive, more recyclable, using softer engineering uh, and using uh, 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 nature, let's say a reef or, or a mangrove, uh, as infrastructure uh, uh, to coastal erosion. So adaptation, softer biological engineering, production less uh, extractive, more recycling, and and I think I work for the Climate Vulnerable Forum, where Sheikh Hasina, Prime Minister of Bangladesh, chairs it, uh, and I am her ambassador for ambition. Now, what I've been discussing with her is to suggest that, look, shall we ask countries another question? Not how much you would reduce your emission. Let's stop that. Let's ask, how much are you willing to invest in renewables? Uh, and, and we know that when you start producing so much electricity through renewables, that is going to reduce uh, carbon emission. We, what we want to use is, what we want to do is reduce carbon emission by 7% per year. For us to uh, remain in the Paris Agreement, dead ag agreement and keep the 1.5 degrees alive, we need to reduce carbon emission, global emission, by six, seven, I think, seven percent a year. Now, we have—I represent Climate Vulnerable Forum, which is forty-eight developing and poor countries. Now, all these countries wants to become middle-income countries. They want a better life, and and but in the process, 
they need not destroy the planet. So I have been in discussion with the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister has come out with these prosperity plans. Now, the four, we are trying to see if the 48 countries would agree to the prosperity plan and tell the rich, developed world, look, you know, we are doing it, we can do it. I, there's no reason why the United States uh, or Germany or China or, or India can't do this, or Brazil, Indonesia, South Africa, any of these countries can't do this. The, the, it is now climate change, or rather the climate issues now, is not uh, an ethical issue. It's not just an ethical issue. It, of course, it's a human rights issue. It's, it's, it's also an ethical issue, as you could say, but, but it's more than that. It, it is primarily... Yeah, it is primarily an ethical issue. It's primarily uh, a human rights issue. It's primarily destruction and so on. But it is also now an economic issue. So uh, I feel that we should start addressing uh, the question, the issue, in a more economic frame. Uh, uh, how much renewable investments are our countries willing to make? How are, we, how are we going to provide? Now, we can ask uh, developed countries to... Not to, for, for grants. We, I don't think that's the way forward. And, and neither loans either, but public-private partnerships. Partnerships where you and us can come together and, and find viable economic structures where it is a win-win for both. I think, you know, I am, I, I am a center-right politician or rather more a centrist politician. So I do not think that we can subsidize our way out of climate change. But you are, I, I, I guess what you're saying there is a little bit contrary to what many developing states are arguing because usually in, in the COP process, their argument would be, and I tend to support them in that argument, that really the, the Western countries need to pay, the developed economies need to pay money to the developing countries as uh, subsidies to help them transform because of our historic responsibility. We, you don't have the money to pay for this. Even if, even if you really wanted to, you don't have the money. But, and also it's kind of, you know, I, won't, I think it's possible to find a viable business solution uh, uh, to, to this issue without going around begging for it. A, a, a breakwater in the Maldives would cost you $7,000 a meter. A meter. We have 2,000 islands, goodness sake. How can, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is just the Maldives. But on the other hand, if you grow a reef and if you implant a mangrove on your shores, that's about $20 a meter. Now, uh, uh, can we, can we, what we would like the West to do, the World Bank to do is to stop pushing these 1920s and 30s and 40s designs of infrastructure to us. Now, they, they, you know, they, they are making, you know, we, we've been making um, harbors in the Maldives. Uh, for the last 40 years. And, and when I came into government, uh, uh, 
uh, I was fortunate enough to have been elected as our first president in 2008. So I was there, I, I've been as, as president, but I now work as the speaker of the house and also a, 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 an environment ambassador. But what I'm suggesting is that we, we build our infrastructure from loans taken from IMF and the World Bank and the Asian Development Banks and, and all sorts of other banks. And, and these loans and, are, are tied up to designs. So what you're saying is that because of the conditions connected to the loans that you were given, you couldn't decide for yourself actually what kind of an infrastructure it was that you wanted to build. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, if I were to build a harbor here, uh, and, and that would be uh, to a certain design, uh, if I were to build uh, a sewerage here, uh, that would be to a certain design, certain specifications, and also uh, to be done by uh, uh, certain designers uh, uh, and advised and consulted by all, all sorts of people. I mean, very competent people. Of course, but there's a bias then against the natural-based solutions that you would have probably wished for. Am I am I understanding that? Correct. That is exactly what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying, what, what I'm suggesting is, look, shall we go and uh, research, do a little bit of design research on designs, uh, and see how where we could come up with software engineering? Yeah, uh, uh, can the World Bank and the IMF and your development bank as well, uh, uh, or you know, you have built uh, a number of one of the most difficult harbors in the Maldives was built by. Oreo, I think, by Oreo, by, by, by Danish assistance. You had built our sewerage system as well. Uh, uh, it's still working. Still working. Glad to hear that. <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> no, it, it was a beautiful project where you, you had a share uh, for 12, a 12% share in it until we were able to start working it ourselves. And when I was in government, when, when I came became president, it was the time for us to buy it from you. Uh, from so and, and, and we did that. And, and the company had the money. And, you know, it's a perfectly done thing. And so I, I believe, I feel that we could still go into these adaptation measures far cleverly. I also think that, you know, I, I think I'm going to say a wrong thing now, Minister, please excuse me. But I think, I think we should enhance evolution or assist evolution in in growing coral resilient coral we must find resilient coral we must find resilient mangroves we must see how uh, you know how we can in a sense genetically modify them now it's it's bad you know it, That's it's a, not probably a bit controversial uh, in many uh, scientists and green ngos at least uh, now, I'll tell you, Minister, I'll tell you a beautiful story. My friend Mark, Mark Linus, uh, you, you, you would see him in Science of Seeds. He, he, he this, uh, and he's almost, uh, you know, when he was in university, he's, he started the Greenpeace movement, almost. Uh, and he was so against genetic modification. Now he has come around to suggest, look, there's no way we could survive this. We've lost this biodiversity. Go, please, we've lost it. There is, there is a poisonous gas trapped in future for us 
to to mess up the diversity biodiversity now so i think if we can't find a coral that would survive 50 years later and and we should find it now we should find it now and we should use that to for our construction this is actually the first time I, I hear uh, about this idea. Are scientists looking into this now? Or? Well, there are a few labs. Uh, we have, uh, there's a, a, a coral foundation uh, in the Maldives is looking in it. Uh, there's someone in, of course, someone in California would be looking. Yeah, at yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I, uh, I think there are a few labs, one or two, who are working on it, but they are uh, looking at assisted evolution on ways to grow faster. Now, if we are fine by the green revolution in India, which fed uh, um, everyone, you know, which took us from starvation, actually, uh, and if we are fine by that, uh, I would like to survive. I, I like my country to survive. I want my people to survive. So uh, we would need, I don't think this heavy concrete engineering is going to deliver this. So we better start using better, uh, you know, uh, clever methods of growing things. So tell me, uh, surely you, you must also sometimes be forced to think about the, the very, very un un uncomfortable things that might happen if the world doesn't succeed in, in, in fighting climate change, uh, being an island state. What are your thoughts on what you will do if and, and how the world can help you if, in fact, uh, the water which we know they will, but if they will rise so much that your whole state is in danger and your living conditions will change fundamentally. Now, when I was president, uh, uh, or just before I became president in 2008, uh, I said that we might have to move. We, we might have to leave and we might have to move. And then uh, after having won the elections uh, I made another little another tour to the islands and there was one particular grandmother who told me my son you know you can carry me and take me somewhere else but where would the butterflies and the sounds go where would the colors go so she said you know uh, uh, I want to die here uh, she doesn't want to be carried away to uh, central Australia or, or some some other place or wherever people can go. So the question is adaptation, really. Uh, of course, there will be bored people. There's no doubt about that. When a quarter of the world's population would be on the march, it's not just the Maldives. Now, now just imagine one million Syrians came back, came to the West uh, uh, because of the ISIS war. And, and actually, these Syrians were those who went on the crusade and ended up in Antioch and all sorts of Middle Eastern places. So they again came back uh, uh, and then you, you look how worried Europe was for that, how panicked you were. We are talking about a quarter of the world's population on the move and there is no one who can stop that. All the island people would become boat people. And, you know, we've seen Cambodian boat people, we've seen uh, Southeast Asian boat people, how that goes. So if you want to think about scenarios on what would happen in maybe our children's lifetimes 
or even maybe our lifetimes. Uh, so this is just kind of, you know, it's, it's difficult to think, and especially as a political leader, it's almost impossible. We have to go for more adaptation. Now, how do we do that? We have to float. Fortunately, the Dutch Docklands has come up with a technology, a floating island, a, a, a floating city. So they they are now building five islands in the Maldives. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we 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 gave them permission in 2010. Again, in 2012, when they had everything going, they had to stop. But they were very good. Being Danish, they were patient. Uh, they waited here. They had a little office here, and they waited and waited and waited. And now finally, we are back. Uh, so they've started work. Uh, and we would soon, I hope, see this COVID has stopped, uh, you know, uh, uh, disrupted their work a little bit, but they have started their work again. In fact, I'm going to go and have a look. This is a long weekend for me. So I'm going to go and have a look. We are, we, I am very certain that there would be ingenuity. There is, you know, human ingenuity is amazing and they will come up with solutions. Uh, we would, we would have to float. We would have to float. We would have to uh, find uh, uh, adaptable manners, ways in which where we could survive in these islands. So we would have to map what would happen to coral, to sand, uh, when all these things happen to the atmosphere, the temperate, the the uh, the the atmosphere. So uh, 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 we feel that we will survive. Uh, uh, I. Uh, I refuse to believe that we are going to die. I think you're very right that when put under pressure, humankind can do amazing things. Now, the thing, though, that worries me, as I'm sure it does worry you, is that we've never faced a challenge of this magnitude before. And if we don't act now, uh, within the next decade, and fundamentally change the way we produce and consume energy, for instance, then really I fear that we will face some irreversible self-enhancing uh, effects that will make this extremely difficult. So I think that probably what we need to do is find a balance where we first and foremost mitigate um, to try and stem climate change. But then also I, I do agree with you that the adaptation path, already now we need adaptation in different parts of, of the planet and that is something that we need to look into. And I think that you've made some extremely valid points on, on that. So I thank you so much for this, uh, this conversation and I wish you uh, all the best and I'll try and follow your very interesting projects. Minister, so, so lovely and, and please come to the Maldives. I, uh, I, I've, I've never been, but uh, I know, of course, as, as most people do, that it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. So I hope to come visit you. Thank you. Thank and, you, sir. And all the best. Keep safe. You Keep too. Keep safe. You too. All my love to everyone in Denmark. Same to you. Bye-bye. You've listened to Planet A, a podcast on climate change and what to do about it. If you want to know more about the climate policies of Denmark, you can follow my ministry, the Danish Ministry of Climate, Energy and Utilities, on social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.